0: Welcome. I'm Mary Wood for the San Francisco Ballet. And I'm delighted to welcome you here to the War Memorial Opera House in San Francisco and to welcome you to opening night of the program, the third program in our repertory season. Sorry, this is much more comfortable. Um, To welcome you to this program, which of course is the wonderful Swan Lake and to welcome you to our Meet the Artist interview. This evening, this is again opening night and it's Friday, February 19th, 2016. As many of you know, these programs are recorded for podcast, and many of these interviews can be found on the ballet's website, sfballet.org. So I hope that you will. I hope that you are a regular on the website. It's a wonderful one. There's lots of information, and lots of um, imagery. There are many videos, and of course the information about upcoming events and these lectures and um, educational programs. This particular weekend, we're very fortunate to be hosting a symposium on Swan Lake. There are still spaces available, so you can read more about it in your program or in the uh, um, education brochure, and uh, the uh, audience engagement brochure, and you can go to the box office to sign up, or you can do it directly from the website. So with all of that said, We are just very, very honored to have with us for the symposium and for this evening's Meet the Artist interview, Deborah Sowell. And Deborah Sowell is an esteemed dance historian. We're going to talk a great deal about what that means. Uh, Dr. Sowell holds a Ph.D. in performance studies from New York University and is a professor of humanities and theater history at Southern Virginia University. She uh, has made a specialty in recent years of romantic ballet, publishing any number of articles about that. She's a past recipient of the John M. Ward Fellowship in Dance and Music from the Harvard Theater Collection, and also the recipient of a major research grant from the San Francisco Performing Arts Library and Museum. She's formerly a board member and national officer of the Society of Dance History Scholars. <clears throat> and currently serves on the advisory board of Dance Chronicle. We are we have a particular interest in her dance history skills because, and resume because she is the author of the definitive biography of the Christensen brothers, and it is. Um, It's not a bad book. Um, It's not, I will say, if I may, it's not a beach read. But if you want to know anything about our um, wonderful Christians and brothers, it can be found here. And I encourage you to go find this book on one of the uh, websites from which you can order books. With that, I'm going to say, welcome, Deborah. Thank you. (laughs) It's really a pleasure to be here. This beautiful place, to see this beautiful company. And someone who is so steeped in our history. uh, That raises the obvious question. What is a dance historian? How did you become a dance historian? Well, I know you're
1: all really upset that I'm not an artist here speaking to you. So I apologize right off the bat. But... um, yeah i was gradu I had just graduated from college and I was heading off to a, a master's program in art history at George Washington University because I had been a humanities major and I loved all the arts and I loved art history and um, the the program had a, a a portion that would give me a degree in museum keeping mm-hmm. I thought ah oh, I can be a work in a museum and I'll have a job. (laughs) So so this was all about being practical, becoming an art historian and having a job. And I'm from the Connecticut suburbs of New York and I had gone back home to Connecticut and I had taken the train in one afternoon to go to the ballet because I grew up dancing and I had performed just with my university uh, theater ballet company and I was going in to see American Ballet Theater at the Metropolitan Opera, and I was so excited. And I took the train downtown, I mean in, uh, took the subway up to Lincoln Center, and I still had some time before curtain. You know, I had some time to kill essentially in Manhattan, but not too much. So I thought I have to stay here at Lincoln Center. And there is a branch of the New York Public Library right there in the corner of Lincoln Center. That's the Performing Arts Division. and I had never been there before and I thought that sounds interesting because I loved ballet. And I thought, I'll go check that out. So I walked in and I saw a sign that on the third floor there was a dance research collection. I thought, oh, I'll go see the Dance Research collection. And I I took the elevator up and walked into this room and it was one of those epiphanies of life. you know, I, I walked in and there were, bookcases filled with books about dancing on the walls. And there were, there was a bank of monitors at the far end and people were watching these old films of dancers. And what really got my attention was there were these rows of tables and people holding up yellowed newspaper clippings like of old dance performances. And it came to me in just like a a bolt of lightning they're studying dance history. How do I study dance history? And so I walked over to the reading room librarian and I said, excuse me, how do I study dance history? <laughs> and you know, he just looked at me as if I were crazy and I said, you know, like art history, only I would like to study dance history. How do I study dance history? and he just kind of, uh, well, that he reached into his pocket and he took out a piece of paper and he wrote down a name and a telephone number. And he said, call this woman. If anyone can tell you how, she knows. So I looked at it and I thought, okay, I'll go call her. And this was of course the day before cell phones. And so I went around the, cor- the corner there down the hall and found a payphone and put my quarters in and I dialed the number. Okay, so the woman who answered the phone was Selma Jean Cohen. And if any of you know who she is, she was the woman who put dance history on the academic map in the United States. She was like the first important dance historian ever in the United States. Um, She edited the first journal. She taught different places. It would be as if as if I had said to someone, I think I want to be a doctor. How do I do this? And they had given me the phone number of the Surgeon General of the United States, okay? It was like that. So I said, hello, my name is Deborah Hickenlooper and I want to study dance history. Can you please tell me how? And so she asked me a few questions and I realized that she was taking me seriously. And she- I know, bless her name. So she invited me down to her apartment in the village the following week
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and um, gave me directions. And when I I, I went, Mm -hmm. and she told me what critics to read, what books to buy, and said that the following summer she was going to run a a national endowment for the humanities seminar at the University of Chicago Mm -hmm. and told me how to
0: apply. (coughs) Well. So there's um, now, I know there are courses you t- can take in mm-hmm. universities and colleges, and um, I'm sure there's a curriculum, and et cetera, et cetera. But now that you have become a dance historian, what, uh, what do you do? What do dance historians do?
1: Well, it depends. You know, It depends on the era in which you're interested. Mm-hmm. If it's an academic situation, then you're like every other academic, you know, publish or perish. You get an advanced degree, you write. A lot of my publications lately have been the 19th century romantic ballet, iconography. Um, My husband and I collect images going back to the late Renaissance, and we have a collection that goes up to about 1850. So I publish things on like images of famous ballerinas. Mm The thing that I like about dance history is that you see so many connections between the history of this art form and the history of other art forms, and I think that's what makes it fascinating. Well, for example, I was just teaching my students this past week about Louis XIV. Now, why is he important in dance history? Does anybody know Louis XIV? He danced, danced. yeah, he got his name, the Sun King, by appearing in a ballet, the Ballet de la Nuit, the Ballet of the Night. He came in as Apollo with all these gold rays coming off of his costume, right? Um, Because he participated in this French art form of the ballet de cour, the court ballet. And it was very political because it's the ballet of the night. You have all of these monsters and people who inhabit the night and who comes to save the day at the end of the night. That's a terrible metaphor. You don't save the day at the end of the night. <laughs> what do you do? The sun appears at the end of the night and and uh, darkness flees and the sun is no other than the king. It's Louis mm-hmm. as in the Ballet de la Nuit. So I think dance history is fascinating because of the cultural connections.
0: How do contemporary ballet masters, choreographers, companies, use dance historians. And I'm thinking in particular of perhaps the revivals of some of the Nijinsky ballets, things like that. Boy, did they need dance historians.
1: Yes. Well, there are famous cases such as Millicent Hodson, who was a dance historian and worked with the Joffrey on the Rite of Spring. And so that was a case where tremendous research went into reconstructing the costumes and studying the score and I guess interviewing old dancers and helping the company recreate what otherwise would be a lost work, but now we have this wonderful ballet that has not been lost. Um, I want to pay tribute to San Francisco. I mean, I'm just a small person who's come to lecture about a ballet, but um, I think it's wonderful when a company has a sense of history and conveys that to people who are interested, so. I can't really speak in ter- like a, a dramaturg. I don't have that kind of experience. Mm-hmm. But there was an example a few years ago, Marion Smith, who's another 19th century specialist, was taken, um, was brought in by the Pacific Northwest Ballet for a production of Giselle. And she had studied lots of documents that have come to light in recent years about the first Giselle. And I actually flew out to see it, and it was the best Giselle ever. So all of you out there, if you have any influence, get your companies to do the production of Giselle that has all of this latest scholarship. It's it's a brilliant representation of the original score.
0: So at some point, and I think I remember reading that it took you at least ten years to assemble the material, so ten years before that book was published in 1998, you got interested in the Christiansons, and of course, we are everything about the Christiansons. Give us that story.
1: Well, someone told me I should write the book, so I did. <laughs> There's more to it than that, though. I was a struggling graduate student looking for a dissertation topic, which is not unusual right, for graduate students. And, um, My husband had just finished his PhD. We were in the East. He had finished at Harvard. We had moved to Utah because his first job offer was there, Brigham Young University. And a friend of mine, George Doris, who was one of the two editors of Dance Chronicle, George had published one of my first scholarly um, articles and he knew that we were relocating to the West, and he said, well, you're going to be living in Utah. You should write story, the story of the Christensen brothers. And I thought that made sense, but I didn't really know anything about the Christensen brothers. And you know, when I talked to people in the East, they would know about the Christensen brothers as this set of three, but they didn't have any idea about the individual identities of the three brothers or who did what and it, it tended to be that they were always lumped together, like they got the Capizio Award jointly. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. got the Dance Magazine Award jointly. Mm-hmm. But no one in the East really knew about the Christensens as individuals. And I thought, there's a story here. Uh, there was also money there. There was a grant. <laughs> and this was just when personal computers were coming out. And it was so exciting to me because I had written my master's thesis on an old IBM self-correcting Selectric. Does anybody know what those were? <laughs> yes, the self-correcting Selectric. And I thought that was the latest thing because you could hit that little button and it would back up and you could correct your mistake. Oh, I loved that. Yes. And my master's thesis was 100 pages, so I th- you know, it Go took ahead. me a long time to type it. Yeah. But when I got the grant from what was then San Francisco Performing Arts Library and Museum, it was enough money that I could buy a computer and do word processing, the old word perfect before they had windows. And I had to put in all those little commands. But it sure beat the self-correcting
0: Selectric, (laughs) is
1: all I can say.
0: So that answers the question. But um, it just occurs to me that Uh, We are 30 years after Lou's death and the Christiansons to us are best friends but there are a lot of folks who perhaps could use just the primer of the 25 words or less about each of them and their contributions to San Francisco Ballet history. Only two sentences for each. Go. (laughs) (laughs) This is impossible.
1: Okay, Willem, born entrepreneur, oldest brother, always blazing a pathway for his younger brothers, Uh, family trained in ballet, uh, like just before the Depression, Uh, and they used that ballet technique to come up with a vaudeville act. Tour de vaudeville, Willem left, his brothers took over the act, Willem came to Portland, came down to San Francisco, took over the San Francisco Ballet, and did Swan Lake, which we're talking about tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And then Lou performed with Balanchine and was fabulous and beautiful and a great technician and the first American Apollo. And everything you've ever heard about Lou, I'm sure, is true. He was fabulous and ended up here in San Francisco and took over the company and had a glorious reign, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Pretty much. Is is that everything? With Harold. Harold, the unsung hero, you know. Willem, with his drive for glory, would set up these tours in the early days, take the company out on spec. He would uh, arrange concerts like throughout the Midwest or the Pacific Northwest because he was all after glory and great reviews to send back home to San Francisco, but on speculation, meaning that all the income would just be a percentage of the box office. And if they didn't make enough at the box office, the company would go home with debts. And Harold was the dependable brother who had very little imagination, but a good business sense. And he ran the school. And so for years, really for decades, it was Harold's income from the school that kept the company going and the brothers solvent. Mm
0: -hmm. So that was. Applause for Harold. Yes. (laughs) Harold (laughs) did a good job. Bless his heart. Um, for those of you who have come in late, um, we are in conversation here with Deborah Sowell, who is a dance historian and who wrote this marvelous, definitive biography of the Christensen Brothers. What um, We want to be sure that the folks have a chance to ask a couple of questions, but we talked about this ahead of time. Deborah will be giving a lecture tomorrow morning as part of the Swan Lake Symposium about the first Swan Lake. So the top five points that we want these folks to know about the first Swan Lake. Okay, well it was just
1: entirely impossible. They shouldn't have been able to do it. Willem had never even seen an entire Swan Lake. He had seen the Ballet Russe de Monte Carlo Second Act. Mm -hmm. That was all anybody knew. So I guess you could say he could get away with anything because nobody knew any better. But, second point, San Francisco had a great white Russian community. Do you know about this? um, After the Bolshevik Revolution, there were members, even of um, the Russian noble family, the prince and princess Vasily Romanov lived here. And there was this large white Russian community and they would go dancing at this officer's club and Willem was there and met them and and they would reminisce about the good old days in St. Petersburg when they would go to the ballet. And they wanted to celebrate the Tchaikovsky centennial. The centennial of Tchaikovsky's birth was coming up in 1940 and they wanted to celebrate it with a production of the full length Swan Lake. And so they persuaded Willem they said he would, they would give money to support the production if he would choreograph the whole thing. And since he had no idea what it was about, they told him who enters where, who does what, what the pantomime is. And he studied the score and was able to do it. He told me that years later when he saw the Royal Ballet production, he was really gratified because everyone on stage was where he expected them to be.
0: <laughs> I just love that.
1: Oh, oh, well, if we could go back in time and see that production, we would be absolutely horrified. Not because of the choreography, but because Willem didn't have a single ballerina who was strong enough or experienced enough to do both Odette and Odile. And so he split the role. That ruins everything, right? I mean, it's supposed to be the same ballerina who shows us that she can do both roles, adopt both personas.
0: One did that many times when she was older. Yes,
1: there was precedent. You're absolutely right, there was precedent. It's just that, don't you expect really to see the same? I'm spoiled, I expect to see the same. So, um, he had one dancer who was beautiful and tall, and kind I think a more legato style, and the Russians wanted her to be Odette. But he had another dancer, Ruby Asquith, who, I'm sorry, not Ruby, it was Janet, 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 Reed, Janet Reed. Right, who was a very strong technician and could do the 32 fouettes for the black swan pas de deux. So she did Odile, and in fact, she said once in an interview that Willem told her You're only half as good on the stage as you are in the studio. And so in the studio, she would practice and do 64 (laughs) (laughs) fouette turns so that she could do 32 on stage. Okay, there's one more terrible thing. One more terrible thing. Okay.
0: And then we have time for just a couple questions.
1: Okay. So the other thing that we would find really shocking was that the costume for the Black Swan, Pas de Deux, was gold. Willem, Willem didn't know that she was you know, it was white and the black, and so he just thought that was a flashy color, and um, the black Swan potato de was not black.
0: Go figure.: We do have time for a couple of questions, so I'm going to start here, yeah.
1: Um, We have the technology now. Uh, Is it it being used? Can it please be used?
0: This is a wonderful question. Um, And he's talking about archiving. These historic pieces and the pieces that are being done now. You've referenced technology, so obviously we have video. There is quite a history of archiving choreography. Do you want to speak about a little bit? Um, A couple of Um, forms of written notation we've inherited actually from the 17th century and um, it was kind of obscure and difficult to read but then in um, the Imperial Ballet in Russia there was Stepanov and he had his notation and then in the 20th century a couple of other um, what would you call them kinesiologists I guess evolved uh, ways of writing down not unlike musical notes on a score but figures and symbols and one of them uses a horizontal score one of them uses a vertical score Laban notation and um, it's extremely laborious it takes someone sitting in the studio and notating every single move that's made in the room and heaven forbid you've got a core and crisscrossing patterns and Um, So what we are learning is that a combination of video and written notation pretty much um, help us out.
1: And And the philosophical issue there is, what is the identity of a dance? Can you write it down and capture it in a score, an approved score like that? Um, That's really good can you tape it, videotape it, record it? That's really important, but whenever you're just filming or video recording, that's not the work itself. That is one performance of the work. So you get into really interesting issues of identity.
0: And at the end of the day, we are very dependent and have been for 450 years on transmitting from teacher to pupil, from master to dancer, for all these years. It's, it's kind of, it's like an old oral tradition, but it's in the muscle memory. Yeah. Okay, one more question. Oh, come on. If you'll speak up really loudly. A comment about... Apollo's Angels. It's one of the most recently published um, comprehensive histories. I think she's a fascinating cultural historian. I have a problem that she
1: spelled Christensen wrong, Lou Christensen. (laughs) And I know my book's not perfect, and we all make mistakes. But, but, uh, but really, (laughs) but uh, she's brilliant. I mean, obviously she's she's brilliant. Um, I just have that one little
0: blind spot on the book. I agree with you about that one. Um, and hers is a very, um, she's really into the intertwining of all of the arts and the performing arts and the cultural art of the time. And so it's, it's not a beach read either. No. But very worthwhile, very worthwhile, yeah. And pretty scholarly, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, one more. All right. Go. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a particular production of Swan Lake you have a uh, very fond memory of one that really to mind? A fond production of Swan Lake. Oh. <laughs> I love
1: them all. As long as they have the music and the black swan pas de deux, I'm okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. The music. I'm, I'm <laughs> very shallow when <laughs> and that music. I this is very flippant. If you happen to be not enjoying what you see for whatever reason, close your eyes and listen, and your evening is worthwhile. I think that about the Tchaikovsky music. Um, I want to say we've had just a delightful conversation. This is Deborah Sowell, who is a dance historian, specialized in the Christensen Brothers, and will be speaking further this weekend. So I hope you will pursue the idea of um, coming to some of these symposium meetings in the next 48 hours. Thank Deborah, thank you. thank you so much for giving your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Enjoy the performance.